0: please have a seat. Now, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is James. I'm the associate pastor here, and it's been a little bit uh, since I've been up here. Um, Since last time I I spoke, uh, we added another member to our family. Um, Jane, she was born on August 23rd. Now, on August 22nd, around 11 p.m., that's when Shannon went into labor and her, her labor progressed through the night. And around eight o'clock the next morning, we called Greg, her father, to uh, come up to our place and watch uh, Seth, our son, as we went down to the hospital. And so we, we go down to the hospital, and we go through admitting. They get us into the early assessment unit. And so um, we're just kind of waiting for uh, a doctor to come and tell us how far along she is and all of that. And and Shannon was in a lot of pain uh, during her labor. Now, she's, she's a person who has a relatively high pain tolerance. She doesn't really complain too much um, when she's in pain. She once had appendicitis, and she just really didn't say anything about it until she was like, I think we should go to the hospital. Um, so she doesn't make a big deal about it. But, but I had never seen Shannon in pain like this, and it was different than her labor um, with Seth. And so the doctors come down, they, they examine, and they're like, well, she's not really ready to give birth. But seeing the amount of pain she was in, they said, well, let's get her up to the birthing unit and uh, we'll give her an epidural. And so they, they moved us up to the next floor, the birthing unit, and they give her the epidural in a little bit. And they're like, okay, 15, 20 minutes, you, you shouldn't feel much. 30 minutes, you'll, you'll be pretty much numb. 15 to 20 minutes pass. She's still in great pain. Um, 30 minutes comes and goes, she's still in a lot of pain, an hour and a half progresses and she's still in the same amount of pain. So it wasn't really uh, doing much and so um, the doctors and the nurses, they do some tests and they're going, okay, um, this ep- epidural obviously doesn't seem to be working, so let's let's do another one. Let's try repositioning it to see if it helps. And so um, one of the nurses went uh, to help reposition Shannon to do the second epidural and that's when when things got scary. Um, not trying to be graphic or, or, or gross or anything like that, but when they moved Shannon, that's when they noticed the bed was just covered in blood. It, it was just drenched. And um, I'm very, very thankful for how quickly the people at Grace Maternity um, sprung into action. Because that nurse who noticed it, she put out a page or something, and within 30 seconds, um, that room was filled with like eight different doctors and nurses, and, and they were just going to work. Now, if you've ever seen that happen on TV, where all the, the medical team just rushes in, um, maybe you've experienced it. it. It's not a good feeling. When they come rushing in, um, that, that is a terrifying feeling, because you know things are serious. Now, Shannon had a cesarean section with her son, Seth, Um, And when they were doing that C-section, before they did it, they came in, they were calm, they were relaxed, Um, they explained what was going to go on, they said, here are the possible risks with a a section, do you have any questions? Just kind of laid back in many ways, but but this time was completely different. The nurse was just kind of like, shouted to me as they're going out, it was like, we need to get her to an OR to do a C-section as soon as possible, implied was that her life and the baby's life could be... In danger. And so um, soon everybody's out of the room. They're off to the OR to do surgery. And I'm kind of standing there alone in that room, not much a- uh, time after that. And so I- I'm-, I'm alone in that room. Wife's just been rushed off to, to surgery um, with, with our-, our baby. And I'm trying not to freak out. <laughs> I'm trying to stay calm and collected myself. And so I say to myself in that moment, the only thing you can do is pray. The only thing I can do is pray. And so I begin to pray, and I'm going, Father, be with Shannon, be with the baby in this time. God, watch over them, protect them. Father, guide the minds and the hands of the surgeons as they work in the medical team. Just see them through this. And I'm just praying these prayers, stuff like that, on repeat, just nonstop. Now, about 30 minutes later, it felt like way longer than that, a nurse came by and she said, um, the baby is healthy, the baby is doing really good, and Shannon, she's doing all right. And so soon they, they got me gowned up, and I was in um, sitting next to Shannon as they finished up, holding uh, the baby. Now, they're not really sure kind of what happened uh, that, that kind of caused all the bleeding, but it's estimated that Shannon lost a liter and a half of blood during that day. And so it was, it was pretty um, scary for us. Now, it was, it was either late that night or really early the next morning, depending on your perspective. I, I just hadn't slept. But I'm, I'm in the recovery room. Shannon's resting, and I'm, I'm holding Jane. And during that time, um, I'm, I'm praying, th- saying thanks to God for what I consider to be um, answered prayer. Because considering what had, had gone on that day, things could have been a different outcome. And so I'm just thanking God for that. But in that moment, as, as I'm praying silently to myself, God, God convicts me about something in that moment. He convicts me about my attitude towards prayer I, I had earlier that day. And that phrase that I, I said, um, the only thing I can do is pray. Prayer is the only thing I can do in this situation. It just kind of played on repeat in my mind. Now, when I, when I say the only thing I, I can do is pray, I don't know what I was really expecting my other options were going to be in that time. Like, the, the surgeon wasn't going to be like, hey, do you want to come scrub in on this one and, and assist? Because you don't seem to be doing anything else, so you might as well come help. Like, I'd faint. I, I'd faint at the sight of blood. I would. Um, so I wouldn't be much good there. But, but when I say, the only thing I can do is pray, I don't know what I was thinking, but God is, is convicting me in those moments going, is this your attitude towards prayer? Is this your attitude towards prayer? And what God was revealing to me is that I often act like there are things that I can do to achieve a certain goal, that there are things that I believe that I can do that will bring about success or achieve a desired outcome but that when I come to the end of um, my my abilities and the things that I can do, that's when I I start to pray. And God was showing me that I often treat prayer as a last resort. Um, That I I often treat prayer as this um, spiritual Hail Mary. I treat it as this contingency plan when I come to the end of my options and my abilities. Now, some of you might be sitting here hearing me say this and going, like, did you just hear what he said? Like, do we let this guy be a pastor? Like, I can't believe he's saying that. But here's the thing. I've been here long enough. I've spent enough time with enough of you that if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that we struggle with prayer. Um, Now, there's some of us, some Christians, maybe you're a prayer warrior, and you're like, I find prayer to be easy, it's, it's blissful. It's unceasingly fulfilling. Um, my hobbies include um, prayer, prayer journaling, reading the books of prayer. And if I'm feeling a little wild, I go for a prayer walk. Um, that, that's just some of you. Now, just understand, you're weird. Um, you're not normal. That, that is not the norm for many Christians. We, we kind of have this struggle with prayer. Now, prayer is one of those things, yes, we know we should do it, we wish we did it more, but we just struggle with doing it. Now, maybe you've been in a situation like I was, where you felt like you were at the end of your options, you had nothing left that you could do, and so you throw out a prayer to God going, this is better than doing nothing at all, so I'll pray. Maybe you've tried to barter with God in prayer, saying, I will, I will do this if, if you'll do this for me. Um, I don't know, but many of us struggle with prayer. Sometimes we have wrong attitudes towards prayer, if we're honest with ourselves. Now, if you've ever read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice, like you, you can't help but notice that Jesus did some pretty amazing things in his life and his time here on earth. I mean, Jesus goes to a wedding they run out of wine, and Jesus is like, "I got this," and he turns um, water into wine. It's not just like mediocre wine; it's it's the best wine. Jesus is sleeping in a boat while he and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a storm uh, blows up, and his his disciples start freaking out because they're going the boat's going to sink, and so they wake up Jesus and they're like, "Do something!" And Jesus stands up and it says he rebukes the wind and the waves. He just says, "Be calm." and the waters go calm. Another time, Jesus strolls out across the water to his disciples who are in the middle of the lake. Jesus tells sick people, you're not sick anymore, and they're healed. He tells people who were born lame, they could not walk, to get up and walk, and they get up and walk. Jesus encounters people who are possessed by demons, and he says to them, to the demon, come out of this person and never return again. And the demons do it. There's no, there's no bartering. There's no debate. They just do it. Yes, Lord, and they leave. Jesus goes to the home of this little girl who has um, just died. And, and, and they're like, you're too late, Jesus. Don't, don't waste your time. And Jesus is like, she's not dead. She's asleep. And people are like, uh, I see you're, you're trying to break some levity of the situation. Not really good timing, Jesus. She's actually dead. And Jesus goes, no, she's asleep. And he says to the girl, get up and walk. And she gets up, and she walks. He goes to the tomb of Lazarus, who's been dead for four days. And people are like, don't roll back that stone. It's going to smell really bad. And Jesus is like, no, roll back that stone. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb now, I've only scratched the surface of the things that Jesus did, but Matt Chandler, he's a pastor in Texas, and he made this great observation in all of this, that in all four Gospels, you never see the disciples asking Jesus um, to do things like this. They don't go, Rabbi, teach us how to make, make wine out of water. Rabbi, teach us how to um, command nature. Jesus, teach us how to walk on water, how to um, cast out demons, teach us how to raise the dead, heal the sick, make the lame walk. You you can search, but you're not going to find that. But do you know what they asked Jesus to teach them to do? What do they ask Jesus to teach them to do? In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And I don't think they're asking Jesus to give them lessons on how to use eloquent words in their conversation um, with God. I think they're asking Jesus to teach us to pray like you pray. And and you you have to understand, when Jesus is modeling prayer before them, it's not going to be wussy prayers. These are going to be bold, faith-filled prayers. And so these 12 guys, they have a front row seat to the power of God working through Jesus in healings, demons being cast out, dead coming back to life, nature being commanded, and in their front row seat, what they see that the thing behind all the things that Jesus does, that the consistent thing, is prayer. They see that. In Luke chapter five verse sixteen, it says, "Luke, or sorry, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed." Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, this is Jesus. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, as, as I said earlier, many of us have struggles with prayer. It doesn't come easy for us. And so we might shy away from prayer altogether because of our struggles. But here's the thing. If Jesus, God in the flesh, often withdrew to talk to God the Father, Why do we believe that we can live as effective servants of God while treating prayer as if it were an optional thing, as if it were simply a contingency plan for for when all else fails? And we have to ask are, are we making our lives and our ministry as disciples unnecessarily harder by not taking advantage of prayer? I mean, have you ever felt like you've hit a barrier in your relationship with God? You're going, I see other people have way more relationship with God, but for some reason, I just don't seem to have it. I feel like this is all it's going to be. Have you ever said, I think I've hit the ceiling in my ministry potential, that I, I don't think God's going to use me for, for much else. Maybe you, you just feel stuck in, in your life. I'm asking, could a stagnant or lacking prayer life be the cause of that? And so Jesus' disciples, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And in doing so, what I think they're asking Jesus to do is say, we, we want to learn to pray because we want a relationship with God the Father like you have. We want God to use us for his purposes in the way that he uses you. We want to pray with faith and power like you do because this prayer thing, it seems to be working. Now, if you want to see a breakthrough in your life, it's, it's going to require prayer. Asking God to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Um, and, and please know that the prayer is not about us getting what we want, prayer is about us growing in relationship with God. And so, if you're looking at your phone, if you're kind of mind wandering off, I, I need you really to hear me on this point. Praying more will not change God's affection towards you. Praying more will not change God's affections towards you. Before you were born. And before you could utter your first word, God had demonstrated his great love for you in sending Christ to this world to die the death that you deserve to die for your sins, to pay that penalty. Before you were born, before you could pray, God had sent his son to free you from eternal death and give you eternal life, eternal relationship with him. And so the quantity of, And the quality of your prayers do not change God's affections towards you. Because if that were so, we would have to say that Christianity is a performance-based religion. That, in other words, God loves me based off of what I do. And so if if my prayer life affected how God saw me, what it would mean is God would look at me and go, Wow, James, you use eloquent words. And wow, that was a 45-minute straight prayer session. Your mind didn't wander once. Man, I really love you today. But the next week, I'm going through a difficult season. Something's going on. I just can't seem to pray like I had the week before. And God's going, Man, that's, that's terrible, James. I, I just don't love you like I used to love you. And so the quantity and the quality of our prayers do not affect God's affections towards us. But listen, the quantity and the quality of your prayers do change your affections towards God. Like time spent in God's word, time spent in prayer, it makes you much more aware of his affections towards you, and your love for him grows in response. Prayer helps you tap into his presence in your life and access his power so that you can live out his purposes in your life and through your life. And so unlike almost anything else except the Word of God and His spirit living in you, prayer makes us aware of our um, privilege as being sons and daughters of God, the Father. And so the most intimate relationship with God, it's only going to come through prayer. And, and like any relationship that you have, it's not quick and easy. It takes time. It takes conversation. Now, in Matthew 6, verses 9-13, through Jesus responds to his disciples to teach them to pray. And in verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so, I mean, if you've grown up in the church, this is probably very familiar to you. You know it as the Lord's Prayer. Now, Jesus doesn't give us this prayer so that every time we can gather, we, we say it in a monotone voice in unison. Um, that, that wasn't Jesus' plan for this prayer. I mean, there's nothing wrong with reciting the prayer. But, but Jesus intends more for it. He was teaching his disciples what to pray about. This is a model for his disciples to follow, a model for his disciples to expand upon in their prayers. Um, this, is, this is so we can study it. We, we can follow it and help keep our perspective right as we pray. And so for the next 10 weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to study through this prayer in this series called Breakthrough and some other um, texts or scriptures that are related to it. But Jesus starts off by saying to his disciples, this then is how you should pray. Now, just a little bit of free life advice. Before you start doing anything at all, you should really ask, why am I doing this? Um, if you haven't learned that lesson, it's going to save you a lot of pain. But Jesus' disciples, they knew why they ought to pray. They, they didn't really have to um, hear why because they sought evidence in the life of their teacher every day. Their front row seats to his life and ministry showed them that, you know what, prayer is essential, but for us today, we should really start by asking, why should we pray before we just launch into doing it? Now, in Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus returns to God the Father, after the end of his his life on earth and ministry... um, He gives his disciples this message and a mission to accomplish. Very familiar text. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. And Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so... um, out of all, all the Christians who've ever lived, there's probably very few who took this mission more seriously than the Apostle Paul. I mean, you read through Scripture, and Paul is going around, he's preaching, um, he's, he's leading people to Christ, he's planting churches, he's writing letters, um, he's getting beaten up and arrested and almost put to death, all for the cause of Christ. Now listen to what Paul writes um, to the church in Colossae, in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And so Paul is calling all Christians to this lifestyle of consistent and persistent prayer. One reason is that they would be spiritually alert for the opportunities that they encounter and that they'd be alert for any um, things that might be a threat to their faith or to their relationship with God. He's saying also that they would be thankful. And he doesn't want prayer to be this thing where we're we're selfishly pleading for God to fulfill all of our hopes, dreams, and desires, but where we're reminded of God's um, love, grace, mercy, and blessing towards us. And recounting God's blessings towards us, it helps our affection towards him grow. Another reason Paul tells the Christians to pray is that God would open up opportunities for him to share the message of Christ, and that he would proclaim it clearly. And so, why should we pray? Here's the real short answer. When it comes to our our personal relationship with God, when it comes to accomplishing the church's mission to spread the gospel, there's nothing else like prayer. There's no substitute um, for, for time spent in conversation with God. There just isn't. Now, this, this past Christmas, uh, we were on PEI visiting family. I was just taking some, some time off. And so I went down to a used bookstore, and I picked up a book called uh, Bonhoeffer, A Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. It's by Eric Metaxas. And this was an, uh, a biography on on Bonhoeffer and if you 've never heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was um, a german theologian, pastor um, back in the 1930s 40s and he he just um, is well known really for opposing the nazis um, he He loathed what the Nazis were doing uh, during that time, and so he actually was put to death at age 39 because he, he kind of played a role in an assassination attempt on Hitler. He, he was helping uh, to coordinate that. Now, the plan was foiled. He was discovered. He went to prison. And as I said, he was put to death at the age of 39. And Bonhoeffer, he actually did a lot for the kingdom of God. And a lot of people read his writings still today. Now, uh, Metaxas, as he's um, writing about Bonhoeffer and his, his prayer life, he, he makes this observation. He says about prayer, it was not apathy or passiveness. For him, prayer was a display of the strongest possible activity. Prayer was a display of the strongest possible activity. I mean, since reading that, those lines have really um, stuck Stuck with me, actually convicted me about my own prayer life quite a bit. Um, prayer is a display of the strongest possible activity. It's a display of the strongest possible action that we can take concerning any desired outcome. And so, if we're if we're serious about something, the question would be, why wouldn't you pray about it? So, prayer is not this spirit, spiritual hail mary. Prayer is not this last-ditch effort when all else fails. Even if I have the ability and the means to accomplish something, prayer is the strongest possible action I can take to see that thing succeed. There's nothing more powerful or productive that I can do than pray. And God did not gift us with prayer. Prayer is a gift. God did not gift us with prayer so that it could be our, our fallback plan. Prayer is not our last defense. Prayer's actually there so we can go on the offense. Prayer is how we can best attack the trials and challenges of life, and God's desire is that we would be proactive in prayer, not just reactive in prayer in all the situations in life. And so on that day that Jane was born, even if I were the most highly skilled surgeon, starting with prayer would have actually been the strongest possible action I could take that day. Prayer is where we, we need to begin to ensure those breakthroughs in our relationship with God and in, those, in our lives. So you might be going, why, why are we doing this series on prayer? It actually um, comes out of a retreat that the pastors and elders went on back in early March. And so we're asking, um, where does the church need to grow? Where is, what's kind of the next step for us as a church I mean, we weren't really sure coming out of this, but we, we realized at that time, you know what? Prayer is an area we can grow in. But also, we came to this realization about stuff. We want to change the way we pray as a church, but we want prayer to be the way we change as a church. And what, what we mean by that is we want to hear God's voice through conversation and not sell them on our ideas. We, we don't want to come up with a plan um, and, and lay it out, like, here, here's all the points for our plan, God, you can see them here, um, so this is what we're going to do, it would be really great, God, if you could get on board with what we're doing, um, and just back it up, and, and make it happen, we didn't want to do that, as a church, what we want to do, is see what God is doing, and get on board with what he is doing, where he is leading us, We believe it's only through prayer and through God's prevailing power that we're going to break through and overcome those obstacles that we encounter as a a church, but also as individuals. And so over the next 10 weeks, our hope is to create habits of prayer in our corporate gatherings, um, in our our life groups, and in our individual lives that will will work for years to come. Now, in his book, uh, Too Busy Not to Pray, Bill Hybels, he, he makes this point. You can know a lot about prayer, but still not be very good at putting it into practice. He goes on to say, or write, prayerless people cut themselves off from God's prevailing power, and the frequent result is the feeling of being overwhelmed, overrun, beaten down, pushed around, defeated. I mean, does any of that sound familiar? Does any of that feel familiar? We have to ask ourselves, as disciples, are we voluntarily putting ourselves into that position by not taking advantage of the gift of prayer that God has given us? And so these next 10 weeks, what I want to ask you to do is commit yourself to practicing what we talk about in this breakthrough series and see where your relationship with God grows. And please, please know as when we talk about prayer, we're not saying prayer is this silver bullet solution. It's, it's often not quick. Prayer is the long game, it takes. Weeks, months, years sometimes, but it is worth it. So consider it an assignment, a challenge, an experiment, what, whatever drives you to do it. But, but, but make prayer a priority in your life. Um, if, if prayer is a display of the strongest possible action we can take, what might your life look like in 10 weeks from now if you practice consistent and persistent prayer and so if you haven't also joined a life group yet, I really want to take this moment to encourage you because we're going to, in our groups, take what we're discussing here to a deeper level. Um, you're, going to, you're going to critique the pastors even. You'll get to talk about what we say. Um, but, but just take it to a deeper level and put these things into practice. And so if you haven't signed up again, you can sign up in the cafe or you can sign up online. Also, when you came in, you probably noticed there's um, plywood just kind of screwed to the wall and there's a new chalkboard out there. This is so we can, we can pray for each other and celebrate together as a church. And so what we want to encourage you to do, there's markers back there, but right on that wall, things that you need prayer for, things that you've been praying for for years. Just if, you, if you can share it, please do, because I'm going to commit to this. As pastors, as elders, we're going to be praying for that list. And we invite you to be praying for it too. Um, Take a picture of what's on there on your phone, write it down, kind of create a a prayer journal to use over these next 10 weeks. And as those prayers are answered and we have faith that God is going to answer those prayers, you can write how he's answered them out on that chalkboard. We can celebrate with you and our affection and our love and our faith in God will grow alongside you. But my hope is this morning, my, my simple hope is that you're willing to look at your life and go, here's where I struggle with prayer, and just admit it and commit yourself to taking that struggle on head on. Or maybe if you see wrong attitudes, commit to, to trying to overcome them. But if prayer is a display of the strongest possible action we can take, and you're struggling with prayer, maybe the, the best place for you to start is just by admitting your struggle to God in prayer. And you might be going like I can't do that. But God's not going to be shocked by that. He knows your struggle with prayer. It's not like you're going to be like, God, I struggle with prayer. And he's going to go, yeah, I thought you were doing so well. But now that you mentioned, I looked at your record, you're pretty terrible at this. God's not going to do that. When we go to God and say, God, teach me to pray. Do you know what God hears? Teach me to know you more. Father, teach me to love you. So I just ask, Commit yourself during these 10 weeks and see what God does in your life. Let's pray. Father God, um, I admit I, I have struggles with prayer. God, I admit that there are wrong attitudes towards prayer in my life. And I know I'm not alone in this room and that uh, I'm in good company. So Father, we ask as individuals and we ask as a church that you would teach us to pray. God, convict us of, of those wrong attitudes. God, where we struggle, use your spirit to encourage us to overcome those struggles. But Father, we want to be a church and individuals of in prayer because that is where we're going to see a breakthrough in our relationship with you. And God, is only through that that we can overcome those, those challenges that we face in our lives and as a congregation we love you. Teach us to know you more and teach us to love you in deeper ways. We pray this in Jesus' name.